working together. We've been talking about finding our fit. We've been talking about the church, the body of Christ, and how we are to play a role uh, in the church. Uh, Remember we said this when we were looking at our passages, and we'll be going to our passages. Remember you can access our uh, messages and our sermons online through uh, version. You can get all the verses, the outline there to help you out. We've got verses on the screen. Uh, but hopefully you brought your Bible because that's the most important thing that we have. Amen? It's the most valuable thing that we have in our lives. But uh, we've been talking about working together, finding your fit in the body of Christ. We said this, that when God sees his body, when he sees his church, he doesn't see it as a bunch of individuals. He sees it as one unified body working together. When he talked to his nation of Israel uh, in the Old Testament, he ministered or, or spoke to them as one. So when one messed up, they all messed up. When one uh, was uh, uh, excited or had something to rejoice about, they all had something that they were excited and rejoiced about. Amen? So when God looks at his church today, he doesn't look at you as you're, you're who you are and you're who you are and all these individuals, but he looks at many members making up one body. That means that every time God looks at you or sees you, he sees you in connection with someone else automatically. Now, the problem is, is in church, we don't see it that way. And so that's why we've got to renew our minds. We've got to reshape our thinking to understand that where I go to church, where I attend church, where I hook up, I am, in, I am connected to someone else, and they have a role and a part that they play in my life, and I have a role and part that I play in their lives, and everybody in conjunction. When you look at me, you don't say, hey, Pastor Mark, oh, and hey, arm, hey, leg, hey, stomach. No, you say, hey, Pastor Mark, and that covers the whole unified body. Well, if we are the body of Christ, we're not separating the head from the body. We're not separating the arm from the chest. We're not separating the ear from the eye. We're not separating the foot from the leg. We're all connected together, and what we do impacts someone else, whether we like it or not. So the question that we ask ourselves, or that we should be asking ourselves, we should not be asking, do I have a fit? Do I play a part? The question is, what is my fit? What is my part? That's the question. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. These are passages we've been looking at every week. They've kind of been our core passages. So let's look at this. Romans chapter 12, verse 5. So we, being many, are one body in Christ. And individually, members of one another. Right there, automatic connection. The question is, am I connected to will? The question is, how am I connected to will? The question isn't, what is my role? The question, the question isn't, do I have a role? It is, what is my role? What part do I play? Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. I love that that verse does not say, Some having gifts. It says having gifts. He automatically puts it out there. Everybody has a gift. And the gifts 
differ according to what? According to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Let us use those gifts, where? In the body of Christ, to serve each other and to serve the world. I'll just put this out there. A church that can't serve each other will not serve the world. You will make no impact for the world if you can't impact your own body. If you can't do something for your own body, for your own, for this own unified group working as one, then we will not make impact in the world. There are people that think that they're making impact in the world, yet they're not connected to a church at all. They're not connected to the body of Christ. And today, it's easier and easier to justify living for God without even going to church. How can you say you love God if you won't even connect to his son, the body of Christ? We have to ask these questions. Because I know we live in America. And we can hear about God on the radio. We can hear about God on the internet. We can hear about God uh, on the TV. We live in a country where we can have 15 Bibles in one house. And there are other countries that they can't have any, not even one. But yet, because we have so much that we're so saturated with God and with the Word, that it becomes easy to uh, be familiar and to cast it off. And in one sense, we almost become desensitized to the Word. We can get it any time that we want. So even though I miss service, uh, you know, Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., when the body unified, I can go home and I can read my Bible for myself. And yes, you have the greatest teacher on the planet living inside of you, the Holy Spirit. He is your teacher. He is your God. He will bring to remembrance things that have been spoken, and he will show you things to come. He'll lead you into all truth. Yes, you have the Holy Spirit. But there is also a vital role that being connected to the church and sitting up under a pastor and submitting to a pastor, there is a connection there that has to be made. Okay? So we're showing value and importance for being together, working together. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, shows mercy, shows mercy with cheerfulness. What's he saying? We have gifts that differ, but we all have a gift. There is, that means no one can come in the church and say, well, I don't have a gift, so I'm just, I'm just here to receive. I'm just here to, to you know, take up a space and a seat. No one can say that. No one has that excuse. We all have a role to play. And, and look, here's the thing. It's the gifts according to the grace. Which means the gift isn't about you. The gift isn't about me. The Bible says that your gift will make room for you. Not you will make room for you. Your gift will make room. Your gift has to go before you. What, what is standing here before you today is a gift called pastor, not a person called pastor. This is a gift. 
Ephesians chapter 4, we'll look at it here in a minute, says that Jesus gave gifts unto men. What are those gifts? The fivefold ministry. This is not a man standing before you. If you, if you receive me as a man, then that's all you'll get is a man. If you receive my words as those are the words of Pastor Mark, then that's all you'll get is the words of Pastor Mark. But I'll tell you right now, the words of Pastor Mark have no weight and have no power. They are the words of God spoken through the gift of pastor. And we all have this danger of, of familiarity of just seeing someone else for who they are and not for the gift that they possess and the gift that they bring. We all have that danger. Pastors can run into the same danger with people that volunteer and serve underneath. If I just see you as a church member that attends my church, then I'm missing it, and I'm not even drawing on your gift. But no, as a pastor, I have a responsibility to draw your gift out. Pull on your gift. What is your gift? And you might not even know what that gift is yet. But I'm here, and I'm in your life to draw that gift, help you recognize that gift, and pull that gift out of you. You may have a gift of compassion. You may have a gift of hospitality. You know what? That's just, you know, I just love to open my house with people. I just love to have people come over. If people need a place to stay, how can I help somebody? You may have a gift of mercy. Uh, Some people have a gift of finance, and that's their call. That's their gift is to bless people and to bless the church through finances. And God has blessed them with wisdom in finances and how to order finances and in businesses, and that's their gift. And no, not everybody has that gift, that specific gift, but we all have a gift. You may have a gift with sound and media. You may have a gift with an instrument. You may have a gift with children and being able to work with children. You may have that gift, and it's the pastor's job to draw that gift out as you submit to the pastor, as you submit to the church. So we all have gifts differing. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So he's letting you know, just like your body is made up of many different parts but is one body, so also is Christ. So also is Jesus. So also is the church. Because the church is the body of Christ. The church is one body, one unit, but made up of many different members. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free. He lets you know right there, your history means nothing. Your past means nothing. Where you came from means nothing. Who you are means nothing. You are all born, we are all born of the same spirit, same faith, same race, same nation when we come into the kingdom of God. He's getting all the natural stuff out of the way. doesn't matter if you were a slave. doesn't matter if you were free. doesn't matter if you're a Jew. doesn't matter if you're a Greek. doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. doesn't matter if you're black. doesn't matter if you're white. doesn't matter what your history like, was like, what your past was like. None of that natural stuff matters because when you come into the kingdom spiritually, you're one. But we live in a natural world and we like to put natural limitations on things. We put those natural, well, you know, I came out of this, or, you know, I, I was raised this way, or uh, I had this happen in my past. Your past does not matter. 
unless you let it matter. There are some people that, are, uh, that can't pursue the future because of their past. So let's get rid of it. Let's strip off the past. I don't care what you did before you came to Christ. I don't care what, what happened to you. When I say that, I'm not saying that your past, you know, that that doesn't come back and that I literally don't care. But what I'm saying is, is that cannot keep you from your purpose in the kingdom of God. Do you see what I'm saying? doesn't matter. don't care that you were divorced. I don't care what your parents did to you. I don't care who abused you. I don't care, uh, you know, how hard you ran with the world before you came to Christ. We have a purpose now that we're in the kingdom of God. Let's pursue that. Slave, free, Jew, Greek, doesn't matter. Verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing... Where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as who pleased? He pleased. I am thankful I am in the body where it pleases him. And you want to be in the body where it pleases him. Don't pursue what doesn't please God. And get in the place where it pleases God. Sometimes we pursue things that God is not pleased with us being there. He doesn't want you pursuing that. But then there's times that through our own insecurities and being uncomfortable, we don't go after the thing that we know God is pleased with us if we'll just get in there and do it. But because of fear and because of uh, you know insecurities, it's hard for us to press into that it's hard for us to go after that but when it pleases God that means there's a grace according to the gift we just saw that gifts differing according to the grace God will put a grace on your life what's grace and empowerment God will empower you and equip you and anoint you to be in the position he has called you to be. That's awesome. I am not up here because I love to be in front of people. I'll just be straight honest with you. Outside of this pulpit, I'm shy. Any more shy people in here want to testify with me? I, I'm not the kind of guy that's just confrontational. And, All right, let's do this. Everybody sit down. Let's roll. That's the anointing. Ask my parents growing up. Uh, you know, I had choice in a few friends. One, because I knew how to choose friends. But two, because I just wasn't the kind of guy to just go up to you and just, hey, what's up? What's your name? I'm, Dude, you came to me. And if you showed yourself friendly enough, then we can be friends. That was me. But in here is boldness. In here is grace. In here is an equipping and empowering to do this fit. Because it's the grace that he's placed upon me because it's where he is pleased. It pleases him, so I do it. 
with his empowerment, with his grace, with his abilities. Not on my own. Amen? Just as he pleased. If they were all one member, where would the body be? See, look, he's saying here, one member, one member, one member. In church, we, we, we think one so much. And we need to think one, but we need to think one body, not one member. There's a, 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 a thing that, you know, church leaders say that uh, people in church will view the church based upon the problems or the situations or circumstances they're, go, they're currently going through in life. For example, a college age person, an 18 to 21 year old, will go to a church and view their entire ministry, view the entire church based upon how well they minister to college kids. Seniors will come in and they'll view the entire ministry and say, man, that is an amazing church because they minister specifically and they have a great ministry to senior citizens. Well, if we're lacking in one department, say in the college age, say I just, you know, I just didn't have a whole lot going for college kids, but I was ministering to children, ministering to the adults. We had a great men's ministry, a great women's ministry, a great prison outreach, uh, you know, great things going on. Would that be a fair judgment call for a college kid to come here and say, you know, that they don't really have a whole lot going on. Just because I don't have a lot going on for the college? No, that wouldn't be a fair judgment. And what is that thought process? One member. If you don't meet my needs, then I'm going somewhere else. So we have to change that because we're one body. How, how are we ministering to the children? How are we reaching the youth? What are we doing for the men and the women? What are we doing for outreach? What are we doing for missions? We have to look at the whole. This is one body, not one member. One body. Amen? But now indeed there are many members Yet one body. And that's where we get into trouble. And a lot of that's Americanized thinking. Because the more and more people we add to, the, to a group, the harder and harder it is to get along. You know, really, you know, with kids and, and especially with youth, they like to keep their cliques small. Because the more and more people we add, the harder and harder it is for all of us to stay on the same page. But God is putting a church in the earth that can be massive, that can be large, yet everyone agree on one thing and have one vision and one mission. That's what God wants. So even though more are added, more are added we have to still have the mindset of one. One. One vision. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather the, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. Our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, 
having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. One member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. But now you are the body of Christ, members individually. God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, prophets, teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. What's he doing? He's identifying gifts differing. The gift that my hand plays is different from the gift that my foot plays. The role that my eye plays is different from the role that my ear plays. Look, anytime you look at someone in the church and ask, is that necessary or is that person doing what is necessary, look at your body and say, is my kidney doing what's necessary? Do I really need two kidneys? Is my, are my legs doing what's necessary? What if my entire body was a leg? What if my entire body was just a heart? The heart's a very vital role. But the body cannot function just off of a heart. So we've got to look at our own bodies. We've got to identify it's all necessary. It all is required. And when we all do our part, find our fit, then the whole mission and vision is accomplished. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. That's where we're going today. The equipping of the saints for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, that means mature, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Every joint, every joint brings a supply according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. God is not just looking for people to take up space in his kingdom. He's not just trying to add numbers. He's not trying to meet a quota. He's not trying to just have the world run over with Christians. I was talking to a lady yesterday at our yard sale, and she attends a church here in town, and she made a very awesome statement. We were talking, she was probably uh, in her 70s, I would imagine. And she said, we are not saved to sit. We're not saved to sit. There's so much truth in that statement. 
We make the, the cross the finish line. The cross is the starting point. This is where we're just getting started. This is where I realize my potential, realize my purpose, realize my ability, realize my gift, realize my call, and go on for the kingdom of God. We're not saved to sit. So that means there's something to do. Here. I'm not talking about what you'll do in heaven. I'm not talking about uh, the, the harp you're going to play and the, the nice little cloud you're going to sit on and, and the mansion you're going to relax in. I'm talking about the work to do here for the kingdom of God in the earth. There's work to do. So there, uh, go back to verse 12, I believe it is. The fivefold ministry is mentioned in verse 11. And verse 12 says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. The equipping of the saints. We got any saints in here today? The equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Not the equipping of the pastors for the work of ministry. Not the equipping of the missionaries for the work of ministry. Not the equipping of the apostles and the evangelists for the work of ministry. The equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Ministry, for some people, is a scary word because that means I have to have a microphone. That means I have to stand behind a pulpit. That means I have to have an outline. And I have to preach for at least 45 minutes. That's not ministry. Ministry is not traveling around from church to church and, and, and ministering. The word ministry literally means serve. That's literally what it means. So today, the title of my message is a servant of all, because that is what you and I are called to do, period, is to serve, to be servants. I remember a while back I was listening uh, to, to someone, um, they were, uh, it wasn't even here in Valdosta, it was somewhere else, and uh, they were talking about a church where the, um, uh, they were, uh, basically they were just grumbling and complaining about their pastor. And they were just talking about, you know, how uh, they wanted a different pastor. And how they didn't like how their pastor did things. Y'all don't ever have those conversations, I know. (laughs) But this happens. This happens in churches. And they made this statement. They said, the pastor, he wouldn't even go on hospital visits. He, He wanted us to go do it. He wouldn't even go to someone's house if they were sick and at home. He, he was always trying to get us to go do it. That's what a pastor's for. That's what a pastor's supposed to do. And I stopped him and I said, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12 says that your pastor is given to you to equip the saints. Remember when we did our purpose series, Original Intent. And we made this statement. They said, when you don't understand the purpose for something, abuse is inevitable. Y'all remember that statement? If you don't understand the the purpose for something, then you will abuse it. If you don't understand the purpose for Advil, you will abuse it. You will use it outside of its direction. You'll take too much or maybe take too little and it won't be good. Well, you know, I just want to take half of this. No, you need to take the whole one. You don't understand the purpose for something. You don't understand the purpose for a gun. Abuse is inevitable. You don't understand a purpose for your spouse. 
abuse is inevitable. You don't understand the purpose for your children, abuse is inevitable. If you don't understand the purpose for your pastor, abuse is inevitable. And so we had a situation with some pastoral abuse. Well, we're expecting our pastor to do something that was not within their purpose. Now, can a pastor do hospital visits? Absolutely. Can a pastor go and visit someone's house when they're sick? Absolutely. Can a pastor uh, help somebody move that needs to get out of a house and get into another one real quick? Absolutely. But Ephesians chapter 4 says, in essence, it's not all up to the pastor. It's not just the pastor's job. The pastor is actually here for the equipping of the saints. What kind of testimony is it? And I know people, uh, you know, it's another thing with church growth when you're a beginning church and the pastor does a lot. The, the pastor takes on a lot. I know Brother Hagen, you know, he, he pastored a church, uh, you know, in, in Texas for 12 years. And he would do a lot of visits. He, he'd go do hospital visits. But then one day... He sent someone else, someone else out to do it. And that person came back to the pastor and he said, how did it go? How did the visit go? Came back to Brother Hagen and the person said, they, they wouldn't talk to me. They just kept asking for you. They said, you used to always come. They asked, why isn't Brother Hagen here? He, he always comes. Why are you here? Well, he, he sent me. Well, I don't want to talk to you. I, I want to see Brother Hagen. You see, we get into those ruts because now we've made it about one member and it's no longer about one body. I'm attached to you. I'm connected to you. And now I'm here serving you by serving the pastor and, in essence, serving Christ. But we get into one member mode instead of one body. And then we start putting emphasis on one member. I am just a member. I am in my fit just like you need to be in your fit. That's all it is. And if I'm properly doing my job, I won't be doing it all, all the time. Just go ahead and let you know. I want to equip you. It's a greater testimony for me. It's one testimony if, if a healing anointing is here in service, and I say, if you're needing healing or you have a sickness in your body, come down here, we'll lay hands on you, we'll heal you. We pray for you, you come back, you, you know, uh, the, the sickness, the disease or the pain or whatever it is, lines back up, it's gone immediately. That's awesome. Will we all rejoice over that? You know what's just as awesome and to me is even more awesome? Is when you're at the house and a headache tries to come on and you say, in the name of Jesus, I do not have to submit to this headache. It must go. And then you tell me Sunday morning, man, I had a terrible headache on Friday, and I just spoke to it, and it left. That's a greater testimony to me. That has let me know I have equipped the saints for the work of ministry. Man, pastor, you know, this past Thursday I was at work, and this, uh, you know, this, uh, the girl that sits across from me, you know, she was having a really bad allergy attack, and I just prayed for her, and it left. That's greater than... Man, you should come to church with me on Sunday. My pastor can pray for you and he can heal you. That's, be, that's the saints being equipped for the work of ministry. 
You see someone that just lost their job and they need, they need food, they need supplies, they need help with bills being paid. Well, hey, come to Anchor Faith Church. I know we can help you with that. Or we can say, hey, man, here, here's a 20. I just wanted to help get your lunch today. Here's 50 bucks you know, if you need it for gas or whatever. That's the saints being equipped for the work of ministry. That's what the word says. That's the hand helping out the foot. That's the ear helping out the eye. That's the body serving itself and helping itself. Instead of always having to go to the pastor to get it done. So I want you to understand the role of the pastor. And we'll go more in depth of what the shepherd does for the sheep. We'll go more in depth with that because it's important for you to know the role of your pastor so you don't abuse it. Just like you need, a role, need to understand the role of each other so we don't abuse each other. Amen? So there is a work to be done. We're not saved to sit. Colossians chapter 3. So if there's work to be done, then we need to know how to accomplish this task. We need to, ha- we need to know how to accomplish the work that we're supposed to be working together to do. See, some people, when they think of church, picture church, talk about church, look for a church, they're not looking for a place to work. They're looking for a place to receive. They're looking for a place to come get something. And you will get something. But there is a work that the body of Christ is to be doing in the earth today. I want to see the church empowered. I want to see a church equipped. I want to see a church fulfilling the purpose and the plan that God has for the church, for the body of Christ. That's what I want to see. I don't want to see a weak church. I want to see a powerful church. I don't want to see a limited church. I want to see a limitless church that sees the problem and says, I'm the solution. I'm going to go in there and change that. Not sit back and say, man, I just can't wait to get to heaven. Why is all this happening? Man, the the, the world's getting dark. Don't you understand that the darker the world gets, the brighter the light should be shining? Why is our light getting dimmer as the world gets dimmer? That's the church I want to see. I don't want to see a weak church that just wants to come and and hear a few good songs and, and hear a good email and a good funny joke and then go on to the buffet and go on home and watch the football games and Monday morning. I'll tell you what, man. There are some people that go to church on Sunday morning. At Monday morning, you wouldn't even know they were in church yesterday. 24 hours ago, you were in the presence of God. And you wouldn't even know it. We get back into our cycle of life, get back into our cycle and routine of, uh, 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 of going to work, and we complain about our job like everybody else complains about our job. We complain about not having enough gas just like everybody else. We complain about the traffic just like everybody else. We complain about having to get up just like everybody else. We shouldn't be. We should be getting up in the morning saying, I'm going to make a change in my field today. Going to work a field. You should wake up different than everybody else, than the world. We're waking up with purpose. You're not at your job to make money. Don't worry about what they're paying you. Don't complain about, I'm not getting 
uh, you know, I'm not getting enough out of this place. They're not doing enough for me. I'm looking for another place. You're not looking for another place until God has you looking for another place. You're there to make influence. You're there to bless that job. You're there to be a blessing around the people, not get in the same complain, grumbling mode like they are. That's the church. Remember, the church is not a building. The church is not an event. The church is not a location. The church is a people. You are church grounds. You are the church when you go out there. The church has congregated at 2314 U.S. Highway 84 this morning. We didn't come to church. The church came to this building. Colossians chapter 3. There's a work to do. And verse 23 says, And whatever you do, whatever you do, not just church, not just raising my hands heartily unto the Lord, not just listening to the message heartily unto the Lord, not just working in children's heartily unto the Lord, not just running sound heartily unto the Lord, not just playing an instrument heartily unto the Lord. Whatever you do, do it heartily. As to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve who? The Lord. You serve Christ. You don't serve man. You don't serve your boss. You don't serve your co-workers. You don't serve your employers. You are serving Christ. How would you serve Christ? What, how would you work for him? It's the question we have to ask. He says, do your work heartily, not unto men, but unto the Lord. There are many people that only do what they do for credit. I want the credit. I'll help out in this area, but I want the credit. I'll, I'll help out here, but I want recognition. I'll help out here, but I want them to know who I am. There are many people that will do a task for credit at the expense of the reward. Don't do something that I ask you to do because you want me to thank you and, man, you're just such a blessing to the church. I'm so glad you're here. Those things are necessary. That's exhortation, that's edification, that's building you up. But don't do it for that. Do it for the overall purpose of the vision of the kingdom of God. Because look, if you're doing it for a thank you and a pat on the back, that's all you're going to get, a thank you and a pat on the back. And I'll tell you right now that my thank you, my pat on the back, will fail in comparison to the reward you have with Jesus. It will fail every time. I can't thank you enough for what you do. I can't thank uh, people that volunteer to support this church enough. If you give a large sum of money uh, to the church so you can hear me say, man, thank you, we appreciate you, you're such a blessing, that's all you're going to get. But if you give a large sum of money to the church, Knowing that, Father, I'm serving your purpose. I'm serving the vision. These are your finances, and I'm going to bless the church with this. I'm going to bless the vision of the kingdom of God with this. Then your reward is with him, and it's way greater than what I could do. 
way greater than me pulling you up here and saying, so-and-so brought, uh, donated such and such money to the building fund. Way greater than that. If that's what you want is just recognition to stand in front of people so people know that you gave a sum of money, that's all you're going to get. But the reward that is in heaven? See, we, we get small-minded and we get now-minded and we get natural-minded. We don't think spiritual. We don't think future. We don't think eternal. We don't think big. And his rewards and, and what he uh, uh, has for you as an inheritance is way greater than anything anybody could get you here. Do you want to donate money to the children's funds so we can carve your name into one of the walls and say this is the, this is the clay classroom because the clay's donated this money so we can build this? That's all you're going to get is your name in a wall. But Jesus, man, he's got a reward that's so much greater. That's eternal. That can't be taken away. And that's how we're to serve. Not unto men, but unto Christ. Look at this in the New Living Translation. It'll be up on the screen. It's awesome. It says, work willingly at whatever you do. Willingly. I remember Brother Hagin, man. He's got a great story. There's a verse in the Bible that says, uh, the willing and obedient will eat the good of the land. And so he pastored this church for 12 years, and God called him to the, uh, to the field to be an evangelist and to travel. And as a pastor, man, he had it made. Good salary. House was taken care of because back in the day they had parsonages. The church owned the house, and that's where you lived. Had a good church. People loved him, and people loved him being their pastor. And God called him to the field to travel. And so he did it. He was obedient, and he went and he traveled, but didn't have the income coming in, didn't have the house anymore, so now he's taking care of his own house and, and utilities and all that stuff, and, and, and you know it was just a lot harder. No guarantee of what the, what the church is going to give you when you show up. This is back in the you know, 30s and 40s. And so he's doing this traveling ministry. And he's praying to God, and he says, man, you know, what's going on? You said, you said the willing and obedient would eat the good of the land. I'm not eating the good of the land. This is not the good of the land here. What's going on? He said, and he told God, he said, if I'm not doing your purpose, I have to call you. If you say I'm not doing your purpose, I have to call you a liar because this is what you called me to do. I know I'm in the will of God. What's going on? And God told him the verse, and he said, that verse says, if you're willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land. You're obedient, but you weren't willing. He said it took him 10 seconds to get willing. <laughs> Corrected him right there. There's things that we'll be obedient to do, but the willingness is what's in question. And willingness is only identifiable in the heart. The heart always reveals the how. The heart always deals with the how. It's not what you do. This verse clarifies, whatever you do, do it willingly. It doesn't say whatever you do, do it. It doesn't say whatever you do, do it. 
It says, whatever you do, do it willingly. It's not about the outside. It's not about the action. It's not about what you put your hand to. It's not about who sees you. It's about the heart. Because you could do all the stuff that the pastor or God asks you to do, and if you do it with the wrong heart, it's for nothing. Whatever you do, do it willingly. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. As though you are working for the Lord. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and the master you are serving is Christ. We have to look beyond the natural person who asked us. We have to ask we have to look beyond the natural individual that said, hey, I need you to do this. And remember, I'm working for the Lord. And this is for everybody. It, what if I came here just being obedient, but I wasn't willing? I'd be in the same boat. What if I was just serving you, but not serving the Lord? What if my master was people See, there are there sometimes we make decisions just based off of monetary value. We'll move across the country for a better job that pays more. We'll we'll move somewhere else. We'll ask all the questions except the one that's most important. Is there a church there? We look at the job, we look at the money. We look at the houses and how much they cost. We look at the schools for our kids. And we never ask ourselves, wait, is there a church there that I'm supposed to be hooked up with? So guess what? The schools, the houses, the job, the career, the money, they're your master. Well, how are they my master? They're your master because they just dictated if you move or not. They just told you. Will you move or will you stay? They just helped you make that decision instead of allowing God to help you make the decision. Instead of allowing, God, is this the place? Do you want, is my time up here? And do you want me to help support this ministry or do this thing? Is there another body you want me to get involved with and, 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 and bring a fit and bring a resource to? We move. And then we might say, oh, we, I, need to find a, I need to find a church. I, I need to find a church. I got to find a place to go to church. When that should be the first ultimate decision. That should be the first thing that comes in. Why? Because we're body-minded, not member-minded. We become, we become body-minded. So the heart always deals with the how. You're not working unto me. You're not working unto someone else. You're not working unto an individual or a person. You are working unto the Lord. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. How do we work unto the Lord? God's not, Jesus isn't even here. He's not here in person. How can I go get Jesus? I can't watch Jesus' kids next door. I can't minister to Jesus. I can't go visit Jesus in the hospital. But look at this in Matthew chapter 25. You probably already know where I'm going. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, 
You blessed of my Father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. Notice that me is capitalized. Jesus is talking about himself here. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in person and come to you? And the king will answer. Jesus will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. You serve Christ by serving each other. And you serve Christ by serving each other as Christ would serve them. Look, does Jesus want to help the poor? Okay, does Jesus want to heal the sick? Yes. Does Jesus want to help the lost find their way? Yes. Does Jesus want all people to, uh, to, to get delivered from hell and find salvation and come into the kingdom? Yes. Jesus is the head. Remember we said when we talked about my church, you know, we always say, I need Jesus. We need Jesus. Jesus needs you. Jesus needs his body. How do you serve Christ by serving other people? Because the body, the hands and the feet, the mouths, the legs, they are going and ministering for the head. You are ultimately doing what the head desires. So when we say, man, they need Jesus, they need you. Man, that person is lost. They, they need Jesus. They need you because you're the body of Christ. So you ultimately end up serving the head, Jesus, when you serve others through your body. We got to serve Christ. I'm not just helping out a homeless man by giving him a dollar. I'm not just, uh, uh, you know, uh, helping out uh, uh, a family where the husband's lost a job. I'm serving Christ. Because that's what Jesus would want. Jesus sees that hurting person and wants to get them out. What did Jesus say when he showed up and he, and he preached that first message? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to restore sight to the blind, to uh, set at liberty the captives. To heal the brokenhearted. Well, that's what we have to do. How does Jesus fulfill that purpose today? He's not in the earth. He is in the earth through you and I. And that's why we can't have our own agenda. That's why we can't have our own opinion. That's why we can't do what we want to do. If, if, if my head 
has a desire and wants to accomplish something, it needs the body to help get that done. And the body can't say, no, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. I want to do it this way. Here's how I would do it. This is how I see it. But yet that's what happens in a lot of churches is the head has an idea. The head speaks a word. The head says we're going to do this or do that. And then the, all the individual different members of the body get together and say, well, I wouldn't do it that way. I heard a pastor say, for God so loved the world that he did not send a committee. He didn't send an organization. He sent one person, his son, Jesus. You know, in churches, there's different government structures. There's different ways that they structure it. And, and, and some denominations, they have committees or they have boards. And they can't move forward with anything unless the whole committee or the board decides this is how we're going to do it. And they take a vote on it. There are some churches that are congregation-led. All right, our pastor's leaving. They'll decide, that they'll, they'll leave it to the congregation to take a vote and decide if we want to keep the pastor or not. I'm not joking, people. This is not a, this isn't a joke. This is seriously happening today. And then when they find the new pastor, they have to take it to the congregation, and the congregation has to vote on the new pastor. Yay or nay. That is not the kingdom of God. That's not how God operates. That's how man operates. That's how the world operates. Specifically, that's how the United States operates. Well, that sounds like a dictatorship. One person makes all the decisions and you have to do it. No, you, you have a person making decisions that has the best interests for the people that are in the decision making. You serve a king that knows exactly what you need, not just what you want. You serve a king that knows exactly what is necessary for your life. He has your best interest at heart. That's the difference. And so if you have a pastor who's in position properly, that is there called by God, and that is there to serve the people and serve God, then you have a pastor who has the best interest of the people that only does what the Holy Spirit says. And so the foot doesn't tell the head, no. The eye doesn't tell the, the head, I wouldn't do it that way. Where's the vision at? The head. The head has the vision. The hands don't have the vision. The hands go where the head tells the hands to go. The feet go where the head tells the feet to go. A, a, a sheepfold where the sheep tell the shepherd what to do, the sheep die. The sheep die. Why? You need a leader. God always starts with the leader. He always starts with one person. Go throughout the Bible. He always started with one person. And then he would have them assemble teams to help delegate the work out to and help accomplish the overall vision. 
But he always started with a Moses. He always started with an Abraham. He always started with a David. He always started with a Jesus. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. Not for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus and his 12 disciples. And they all vote and decide, do we want to go to Samaria today? Nah, I don't really feel like going to Samaria. All right, Samaria, yay or nay? All right, seven said we want to go to Samaria, so it's Samaria. Nope, Jesus said, we're going to the other side. But Jesus, it's looking stormy. It looks like uh, something's going to happen. And, the, you know, we, we, we might die out there on the water. No, Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Well, Peter, being a fisherman, had to have seen a storm coming in the, in the distance. Let's just say, and Peter rises up and says, you know what, Jesus? I don't think that's a good idea. The sheep's going to tell the shepherd what to do. The hand's going to tell the head what he sees. No. The leader, sent by God, gives the vision, gives the direction, and the team assembles to help accomplish the vision. Then we find our role. Then we find our fit. Then we find, am I a hand? Am I an arm? Am I a stomach? Am I a foot? Am I a leg? What role do I play in this vision? So we serve Christ by serving people and so by serving them the way that he would serve them. Willingly, cheerfully. Luke chapter 12, verse 42. Luke chapter 12, verse 42. Probably the, the greatest characteristic that any leader, any pastor looks for in supportive ministry. Supportive ministry. The Bible calls it the helps ministry. Probably the number one characteristic is faithfulness. Faithfulness. And Jesus had much to say about faithfulness. He said that faithful people start out with little and end up ruling over much. That's what faithfulness will do with you. That's what faithfulness will do for you. Faithfulness will get you in a position where you take care of the little, the small, and before you know it, you are ruler over much. There is no time frame. There is no time frame. But I have seen it every time with faithful people, my life included, where if I'm just faithful with something, no matter how small the task may seem, I have seen them rise and rule every time without fail. And I can always look back and say, I remember when I could have asked them to do this and they would have done it as if it was the biggest job on the planet. And I know that I could go back and ask them to do that again and they would do it with no problem. You remember the parable of the talents where the master went away and gave three servants. He gave one five talents, one two, and one one. Who were the ones that ended up ruling over much? The ones that were faithful with what they were given. The one with two didn't look at the one with five and say, I wish I had five. Well, I could do that if I was given five. We do that about everything, man. Well, if I had that many people, if I had a worship team, if I had a children's pastor, if I had this, if I had that, if I had those abilities, if I knew how to sing, if I knew how to play an instrument. Don't be the one with one that just says, what am I supposed to do with one? And start burying it. Be the one that says, I got one. 
I'm going to turn it into two. The two turned it into four. The five turned it into five. I'm going to turn my one into two. I'm going to double what I got. I'm going to be faithful. Unfaithful people always look for the next big thing. Unfaithful people always look for the next step. And unfaithful people always start their sentences with, if I. That's what unfaithful people do. You are unfaithful if you say, if I. If I had that. If I could do that. If I was that. And we all can run into that problem. We can all run into that. I, I could do that now. Well, we could grow if I had this, if we had this amount of money. We could grow if we had this many billboards. We could grow if I could, you know, pay for this. We could grow if I could get this kind of building. We could grow if we had this many people. We could grow if we had a full worship team. You can get into the if I, but then I'm not being faithful with what I have right now. I am only where I'm at today because of my faithfulness previously. And I've told y'all before when we ministered on the parable of talents, everybody starts out with one. Everybody starts out with one. And I can prove that out. The one with five, he didn't start with five. The one with two, he didn't start with two. They all started with one. Because that verse says that they were given talents according to their ability. Somewhere along the line, he proved, I can handle five. Somewhere down the road, the one with two said, I can handle two. Showed he could handle two. Because I ain't given five to someone who can only handle two. And I ain't given two to someone who can only handle one. And the one with one showed he couldn't even handle one. And the verse says that even what he had was taken away. You can't handle one, so we have to digress from that. Everybody starts with one. The problem is, is we look at, uh, you know, I, I was talking to one of the pastors when we were down for Full Force Kingdom Conference, Pastor Daryl Huffman, and he was saying this because... Brother Hagen, those of you who know him know his ministry. In the when I was alive, I was born in '83. So in the time that I saw Brother Hagen, he always preached in front of large crowds. He always dressed nice. He always looked like someone that was doing really good, that could get an audience like that. But I didn't know the Brother Hagen in the '70s. In the 60s, in the 50s, in the 40s, I didn't know that, Brother Hagen. And Pastor Darrell, he told us, he said, there are many people that saw Brother Hagen and they didn't come to know him until the 70s. You know, 70s was when he, his ministry started growing and started getting more books out and started becoming more well-known. And, and they only based Brother Hagen off of the 70s, 80s, and 90s and say, I want what that... I want what that man had. But the problem was is they didn't see the sacrifice he made in the 60s, 
in the 50s, in the 40s. They didn't see his willingness to speak to a room of 10 people. They didn't see his, his uh, time when he would travel, uh, drive all over town, travel all over the United States in a car that was so broke down it didn't need to even be running, much less on the road. They didn't see the time where he had to believe God to, when he's driving and the thing's sitting on E, and he's just saying, God, there's no way I'm getting home except by you. And he'd make it all the way across. They didn't see those times that when he was obedient to come out of a church where he was prosperous and doing good. They didn't see a time when he would preach in a building that was literally just this right here. And he didn't have children's classrooms and children sat in with service with the adults. They didn't see those things. They just want what he had in the 90s without paying the price he paid in the 40s. Why? Because he started with one. But he took the one. And he turned it into two. He took the two and he turned it into four. He took the four and turned it into eight. He took the eight and turned And he got to where he was in the 80s and the 90s and the nice house and the nice cars and the nice clothes and the things that he had. But people only see that and they don't look at where his faithfulness got him. Because he never said, well, God, I would do that, but never said that. He said, I'll be faithful and I'll do it. I'll do and be faithful with whatever you give me. Whatever we have. We're going to be faithful with what we have right here in Valdosta. I'm going to tell you right now. And God is showing his faithfulness because he's going to add to and he's going to bring people in. And we're going to see this thing grow. But it's only because we are faithful and work what we have. Work with what we have. Work with what we've got. It's not going to be because we sit on our hands and knees and say, all right, God, when you get us five billboards in town, then we'll start working. When you get us a full worship team, we'll start working. When I have five paid staff, we'll start doing something. No, we work with what we have now. We work with what we have now. We have people right now in this room that are being faithful with little that are just going off of a small thing. And because of that, we're going to see this vision grow. We're going to see the mission accomplished. Look at what he says in Luke chapter 12, verse 42. The Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make, what? Ruler over his household, to give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing, when he comes, truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants, eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. That servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much is committed, of him they will ask the more. Look, here's the thing. No matter what God gives you, it's much. To God, it's everything. The problem we run into is when we don't see 
God's much the way he sees it. God is always putting us in positions that will stretch us. You'll find that when you really hook up with church and when you really get involved with the vision and you find, uh, uh, you find yourself supporting the overall vision, it will get you out of your comfort zone quick. You'll find yourself doing something that, man, I don't know if I can do that. You'll question yourself. You'll question the ability. You'll question the call. You'll question uh, the, the insecurities begin to arise. Things begin to show up. But God wants to push you past that. He doesn't give you one and expect it to be naturally possible to get to. But I'll tell you right now, the servant that had five and turned it into ten, it wasn't naturally possible to get ten. It might have been possible to get six. It might have been possible to take the five and get seven. But he turned it into ten. Here's the thing. No matter what level of what God gives you in life, no matter how much faithfulness you prove, he's always going to push you to do more. I mean, I'm in the position today because I was faithful with little. But he's got me in a position today that for someone else, this might seem like much, pastoring a church. But for me, even with the much that I have today, he's still pushing me to do more. And I can quit and be unfaithful at any point. I can quit right now and I can say, you know what, I'm not going to be able to do what God tells me to do unless he brings me this. Unless he tells me to do this. Unless he brings us this. Every level, every stage you go through in life, it's always going to push your faithfulness and push you to do more and to be more. Every time. You, you, you don't ever get comfortable. There's never a natural comfortability about serving God, about serving his vision and serving his purpose. Pastor Earl, my pastor, I'll tell you right now, the level he's at, I, I could say, man, if I could just get to that. If we could just get 350 people, if we could just have a, a 650-seat auditorium, if we could just have a place that's $10,000 a month for rent, if we could just have the facilities he has, if we had the children's facilities he has, then we could do so much more. I can say that. I could literally go to that. But you know what? Where he's at is not comfortable because God's pushing him to do more. It just keeps growing and it just keeps expanding. He has five, and I was given two, and I got to do with the two that God wants me to do, but God's wanting him to do something with the five. God's not wanting him to take the five and bury it. And then there's the guy with the one. The guy with the one could surpass both of us if he has the right heart and we don't. If me with the two says, all right, I got the two, and if Pastor Earl with the five says, man, I got the five. But if the one with the one says, I'm getting ten, he could pass both of us. But it's all about faithfulness. It's all about using what you have, taking what's put in your possession, and driving on. 
He's looking for a prophet. He's looking to go further. You cannot serve with an inability to follow. You cannot serve with an inability to follow. It doesn't matter how much of a leader you are. If you can't follow, you can't serve. Well, who's the pastor follow? The pastor follows the Holy Spirit. We have this saying with Anchor Faith Church. Pastor Earl told us many times, and just about every area of ministry carries it. The greatest leaders are first great followers of the Holy Spirit. I'm leading only by the power and the ability of the Holy Spirit. It's not my ability. It's not my doing. I'm not here doing my will. Well, we're just here doing what Pastor Mark does, uh, wants to do. No, you're not. I'll tell you right now, there's some things that I do that aren't even what Pastor Mark wants to do. I'll just be honest with you. There's some things that God uh, places on us as a vision for Anchor Faith Church, and I'm thinking, I don't want to do that. Or I wouldn't do it that way. I have the same potential that you have in wanting to get off and wanting to do my own thing. In fact, as a pastor, I have to be more and more diligent to listen to the Holy Spirit because I could easily deceive myself and do what I want to do and not do what the Holy Spirit wants to do because no one, in essence, is saying, don't do it that way. So I have a greater call and a greater push to do and to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. Because as a leader, my responsibility is to follow the Holy Spirit. Not my own will, not my own agenda, not what the hand doesn't tell the head where he wants to go. The foot doesn't tell the, the head, uh, you know, where they want to go. The body carries out the will of the head. And he's given us the potential and the ability to carry out that purpose. It's exciting for me today to be able to announce to you that Caleb and his wife, Crystal, and their, and their children, Chase, and his wife, Alyssa, and their daughter, London, will be moving here this year. It's exciting for me to be able to announce that to you because we have been faithful over the last year and a half with what we have. It would have been easy for us to not do some things because it's uncomfortable or because we don't have the people or we don't have the personnel or we don't have the gifts specifically in those areas. But we have done with what we've had. We have worked what was given to us. And now we're being added to it. Chase and Chris, uh, um, Caleb and Crystal will be here. They're uh, targeting July to be here as soon as their oldest daughter, Jada, finishes school. So they'll be here this summer. The, both of these families have served with us in the past, have proven faithfulness in the past, have proven, proven a desire for the kingdom of God and for the vision 
the overall vision of Anchor Faith Church. They both served with us when we were children's pastors. And so they're targeting being here in July. Chase and Alyssa are targeting being here in September. And they each have gifts in specific areas, but will be doing a lot. You've heard me say before that an investment automatically creates a demand. And I know the demand that I can make because I know what's been deposited, not only from my wife and I, but through the ministry of Anchor Faith Church. And I know what we can draw. And they're going to line right up with this vision. They're going to become a part of this family and a part of this body, even more so than they already are. I'll tell you right now, people in St. Augustine and people in Puerto Rico are praying for this church, just as we're praying for them. And there are, other, there are others that are praying, do they need to be here, supporting this vision. And so it's exciting for us to be able to advance the vision, advance the call that God has for Valdosta. When I tell you that we're doing big things, I, I'm not talking future, I'm talking now. Because the problem is, is we, we get in our day-to-day and we see where we come on Sundays and Wednesdays and this location and where we're at, and we become... Uh, uh, in, in, encapsulated in what's around us. And we forget that there's a whole other church in St. Augustine. There's a whole other church in Puerto Rico. There's a work that's being done in Nicaragua. We forget about those things. It's bigger than us. The vision is bigger than us. But it requires every single one of us. All four of them. All four of them are testimonies of being faithful with little. And now can be rulers over much. All of them. We've seen it from the ground up. I I remember this guy when he was a chubby little redhead kid, uh, 11 or 12. This one called us. He wasn't even living where we were living. We're in Florida serving children's ministry. What were you, 17 years old at the time? Calls me from Oklahoma and says, you know, my family, we're, we're moving to Florida. And I know that I'm supposed to be working with the children's ministry. And so I, I'm coming up under you and I'm going to serve with you. He's not even in Florida yet. A 17-year-old kid. And the faithfulness that they've shown, their wives have proven. Proven. Because that's how the kingdom operates. The kingdom, off, the kingdom operates off of proven, tangible evidence. And that's what we have. So they're going to plug right in. They're going to help us with children. They're going to help us with youth. They're going to help us with media. They're obviously going to help us with worship. It's here. It's happening. We've waited. We've prayed. We've asked. We've interceded. God, speak to people that are supposed to hook up with this vision. Lead them and draw them by your spirit to come and partner with us. And it's happening. But it's not because we sat on our hands. We kept doing service. We kept doing worship with the computer, and we will until they get here. It's easy to say, you know what, I... Look, it's hard for me, not only as a pastor, but for someone that's been involved with worship teams for 
as long as I can remember. To have to go to just a computer and words on a screen. 